Would you turn in your Bible to the book of Joshua? We're going to be there in just a second. Thank you. Today is what we call Vision Sunday. And quite simply, it is our day to celebrate, and it's our day of direction. I felt like the Lord has been speaking to me something very specifically about Joshua, about Moses, and about the direction that the Lord has for us in this coming year. And if you're here visiting New Day Church, I hope that maybe that maybe this vision will inspire you. And if maybe you're not a part of New Day Church, like Doug and Vicki are part of a great church there in Bozeman, I hope that this message will encourage you to go back and to just pour in to what God is doing there in your city, in your town, in your neighborhood. The book of Habakkuk says this. I know I told you to turn to Joshua. I'll get there in a second. Actually, if you want, and you've got a paper Bible, put your finger in Exodus chapter 6. But Habakkuk says this in chapter 2. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak. It will not lie, though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. And then Proverbs twenty nine eighteen says, Where there is no clear prophetic vision, people quickly wander astray. But when you follow the revelation of the word, heaven's bliss fills your soul. That's out of the Passion Translation. When there's no clear prophetic vision, people quickly wander astray. But when you follow the revelation of the word, heaven's bliss fills your soul. How many of you know life without vision leads you nowhere? Life without vision leads you nowhere. You you may say, well, I don't feel called to go to the college campus like David and Stephanie. I'm going to switch over, guys. I don't feel called to go to the college campus. I don't feel called to go to Vietnam like Jonathan is. Or to go to Central or South America. Now they'll get it. I don't feel called to go to those places. Or I don't even feel called to go into ministry. Can you just put your hands up like this for a second? Just out, you know, not way up, just out like this. Then put two fingers out here, like this. You see that? Go, ministry. <laughs> gotcha. You see, we, we get this idea that ministry means I got to be like in the Old Testament, like a priest with an ephod and jewels and all that, or I got to be in the New Testament, a prophet, an apostle, an evangelist, a pastor, or a teacher. How many of you know those five are called to equip the people of God? What does Ephesians say? To do the work of the ministry. So look at your neighbor right now. I want this cleared before we move any further. Look at your neighbor. Look at, I don't care if you know him or not. Look at him and say, you are called to the ministry. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're called to the ministry. Hallelujah. And if you haven't been ordained, I now ordain you in the name of Jesus Christ. Boom, you're done. You're now ordained for the ministry. <laughs> you see, my job, David and Stephanie's job, others' jobs are to help equip you. They help equip you. So guess what? It's not just the pastors that need the vision. We all need the vision. Now, I agree that many times a local vision, just like with Moses, 
the vision will come to that leader, come to that individual, and then it's dispensed out. But it's not for me to accomplish the vision, it's for the house to accomplish the vision. And so, very clearly here, when there's no clear prophetic vision, people quickly wander astray. I I love one version that says, they run like horses on an open plain, wild horses on an open plain. That's a great one. It's a great illustration. Because you get this mind, especially in Texas, of these horses just everywhere. If you're from Montana or Wyoming, you get it even more clear because you've actually seen it, right? (laughs) Our vision in Texas of horses is behind a cage, right? No, that's not where they're supposed to be. But the problem is that a wild horse just goes wherever. God wants to harness the power of his people to go in a specific direction to see a specific end. He's got a plan. How many of you know that? You see, God gave Moses a clear prophetic vision. And if if you want to turn there to Exodus chapter 6, verse 2, it says, And God said to Moses, I am Yahweh, the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as El Shaddai, the God Almighty. But I did not reveal my name, Yahweh, to them. And I reaffirmed my covenant with them. Under its terms, I promised to give them the land of Canaan. Wow. First he gave them his name, and that's a whole other message. And then he said, and now I'm going to give them provision, the land of Canaan. Where they were living as foreigners, you can be sure that I have heard the groans of the people of Israel who are now slaves to the Egyptians, and I am well aware of my covenant with them. I don't want to take too much background time, but just know that this is when God is speaking to Moses and, and, and re, uh, giving him that, that understanding of the vision and reigniting his passion to reach the people and why that is there. And he says, therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression. Notice this. He gave them the promise of an entire land while they were still slaves. You see that? Before they were even free, he was telling them about a freedom that they had not experienced for over 400 years. Wow. Therefore, say to the people of Israel, I'm the Lord, I will free you from your oppression and will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. I will bring you into the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as your very own possession. I am the Lord. Watch this. God had given the promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they didn't see it fulfilled. And God is telling these slaves, you're going to be the ones to see it fulfilled. Wow. That's powerful. How many of you know, this is a side note, we need to speak to sinners the way God sees them, not the way we see them. I'll let that sink in for a second. I know there's some individuals who are discipling men and women in this room right now. And sometimes it's easy to see a disciple where they are instead of where God's taking them. We need to speak into their future, not just tell them about their present and their past. Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery, what? You're forgiven, now go and sin no more. He was telling her, you're forgiven, you're freed, now there's a new life waiting for you, go into it. Other people didn't see her as that. What did other people see her as? Ten minutes later, how did everybody else see her? As an adulterer, 
An hour later, maybe a day later, maybe even a year later, later, people still saw her as an adulteress. But Jesus saw her as free and said, go and walk it out now. That's what God told Moses. He said, these people are slaves right now, but I have a covenant with them because of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And now they're going to see it fulfilled and they're going to go into the promised land. The Lord called them out of Egypt to lead them somewhere. How many of you know you're never called out of oppression, depression, sickness, whatever you're dealing with, you're never called out of that just simply to stand and say, well, I'm called out of that. I got out of sin. You're called out to go in. I'll say that again. You're called out to go in. In other words, you've been called out of those things to go somewhere, to do something. Isaiah talks about that. He says, I will call them out, those that are burdened, those that are sick, those that are, that are laden with so many heavy slavery and chain burdens. I've called them out to be the repairer of broken walls, the restorer of cities. He calls us out to lead us in. You see, Moses had a clear vision spoken through a prophetic voice Yet we know the story, don't we? The people still wandered away. Over a million people had this clear prophetic vision, yet they still wandered away. Why? Because they didn't follow the word. They didn't believe the word. They ran away from the glory and dwelt in their misery. You see, Moses spent 12 spies into the land after they crossed the Red Sea. And they tasted the grapes, these 12 spies did. They saw the land. But 10, what did they see? You remember the story? 10 saw fortified cities and giants there. Look at Numbers chapter 13. It says, but the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in. I mean, can you imagine like the ground just opening up like a big old mouth? Yeah, I mean, that's what they're telling them. The land just devours everywhere you walk. Boom. I mean, don't you see there was 12 of us going in? There's 12 of us coming out, but I'm sure somebody was probably lost along the way, you know? The land, how, did they, how did they know land of ours? Did they see people falling into a pit? I don't know. It says the land we explored devours those living in it. And all the people, watch this. Can you, can you read these three words with me? All the people. How many of you know when you're in misery, everything is exaggerated? When you have a negative mindset, it's everything is worse. All, all, everybody. Anybody ever been in an argument with your spouse? Come on. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. This is important. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. You see, their vision of giants clouded their vision of God. Their vision of the giants clouded their vision of God. They said, when we looked, when we saw, we, we looked like grasshoppers. We looked itty-bitty, and I'm sure we looked the same to them. Now watch this. They're spies. 
I don't know if you've ever watched any spy movies, but the key thing of spies and being a spy is called stealth. You don't want people to know you're there. You don't want people to see you. And so how did they know? I'll tell you how they knew. Because they made it up in their mind. The land devours everybody. Everybody's a giant. We're just little grasshoppers, little bitty, little bitty people. And their vision of the giants clouded their vision of God. Remember what we said last week. Transforming faith takes transformational thinking. Transforming faith takes transformational thinking. Their thoughts dictated their faith. And it brought them to a level very low like a grasshopper. We know that our measure of faith is greatly dependent on the way we think. I didn't say this last week, but I'm going to say it this week. Even the word repentance, you know what the word repentance means? Everybody has an idea of repentance, and it's a great message to preach. But everybody thinks repentance is, is, is you know, saying no to sin or whatever. Do you know what repentance really means? It means to change your way of thinking. That's literally what the word in the New Testament repentance means. Change your way of thinking. How many of you know we can't change our way of thinking on our own? That's why it's a multi-billion dollar industry to try and get people to stop smoking. Right? You can't change it on your own. You need the power of the Word of God. You need Jesus to come in and change your mind. Come on, somebody. Joshua and Caleb were the only two spies who survived the 40-year desert wanderings. They were the only ones. And, And I believe, just in my own study, that everybody over the age of 20 at that point also died in the desert. I don't have time to go into that. But I believe that the majority of mothers and fathers of these under 20-year-olds and Joshua and Caleb, Joshua and Caleb, when they finally came to the Jordan, were the two eldest people in the entire community. Everybody else was 60 and under by that time. But then, (laughs) then Moses died. And God came to Joshua. Let's look at Joshua chapter 1. Verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I'm giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set your foot, you will be on land that I have given you. From the Negev wilderness to the south, to the Lebanon mountains, to the north, from the Euphrates River in the east, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites. No one will be able to stand up against you as long as you live. And that includes giants. Amen? All the giants. Because remember, that's what the people heard. Giants. And he says, nobody's going to be able to stand up against you. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail or abandon you. Be strong and courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so that you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Can you imagine having only the first five books of the Bible? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And that being what God tells you to study. Have you read Leviticus lately? 
That's where I'm at right now in my Bible reading. Oh, Jesus, help me get through Leviticus. Come on, somebody. I don't want to hear about another skin disease or a discharge in my life after you read Leviticus, right? I mean, it's just like, but yet the Bible says, Joshua, study those five books because there's life in them. And we say, oh, pastor, I, I just don't, I don't know about this vision stuff. I don't, I don't know if we can, I don't know if we can reach our community. I mean, bless God. I know I'm live, but you know, gateways out there and fellowships out there. You know, Tony Evans is out there, and no offense, Pastor, but you know Tony Evans. I know that. I mean, you know, we're in the land of megachurches, so, you know, how can we reach anybody? Well, first of all, we're not in competition with any church. Hello? Second of all, I've said this before, but if every church in the Metroplex, every single 4,000 churches in the Metroplex, Immediately this next Sunday had a thousand people in it. Revival broke out and a thousand people were in every single church. Do you know we'd still be missing over three million people in the Metroplex? Only 20% of people in the Metroplex are going to any church at all, period. That leaves 80% of the people. And I know we could just argue over how many of the percentage of the 20% are really saved and not saved. Forget about that. Let's just even say 50%. That's too many. I said that's too many. Three and a half million people not serving God is too many. The field is white. The harvest is ready. Let's go into the harvest and see God move. There is giants in the land, yes. But there is a God who is with us, going ahead of us, saying, I am with you always. And we got the Word of God. Oh, come on, somebody. I'm glad for Philippians. Hallelujah. I don't have to stay in Leviticus. I can go to Philippians. I can go to Ephesians. And I can learn about the armor of God. And I can be equipped with the whole armor of God, with the whole Word of God. And more than that, I've got the Holy Spirit living inside of me. Come on, somebody. You see, now, it was the next generation's turn. God said, I gave the promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I was going to fulfill it with Moses and your fathers and your mothers and your grandmothers and your grandfathers who were slaves, but they rejected the vision. So now, Joshua, it's your turn. Can I just say it in this way? Now, young people, it's your turn. Now, next generation, it's your turn. Stop looking at your father's failures and start looking to your heavenly father who will never fail you. It was now their turn. Most of these people had grown up in the desert, wandering from place to place, watching their parents and grandparents die there. But once the message came to the leader Joshua, Joshua sent this message to the people. Go through the camp and tell the people to get their provisions ready. In three days you will cross the Jordan River and take possession of the land. The Lord God is giving you. I want to give you three simple things very quickly here today that I believe that God is speaking to us and he's been speaking to me for quite some time. He said, first of all, get ready. Everybody say, get ready. ready. Put on your best TD Jakes. Get ready, get ready, get ready. Come on. Some of you know what that is. It's okay. Get ready. What does that mean? It means prepare yourself. There's no time to waste. We've wasted 40 years in the desert. Let's not waste another minute. There's no looking back. 
We don't want to go back to the desert. We want to go back to the slavery years. There's no looking back. God has got a promised land ahead for us. Make sure everyone is prepared. Leave no one behind. Not one child, not one teenager, not one young adult, not one guy that doesn't believe yet. Don't leave anybody behind. Get mentally, spiritually, emotionally prepared to move into your promise. You see, Joshua knew something that maybe some of the other people had forgotten in those 40 years. He knew that there weren't giants everywhere. Right? Somebody correct me later. Somebody correct me. But I don't remember in the book of Joshua them ever encountering a giant. I don't remember. Maybe they did. But I don't remember. Maybe it was just because they were Israelites and they were kind of short and the other guys were kind of, you know, Americanized tall. I don't know. But, but they didn't encounter any giants that I am aware of in the book of Joshua. And if they did, correct me and I'll tell you next week. But I just don't remember that. I know for sure that giants weren't everywhere. But there was something Joshua knew that was true. There were great walled cities. You remember the first one? Anybody remember the first one? Jericho, the greatest of them all. Isn't it funny how God put their greatest obstacle in front of them first? So he knew that they had to be ready. He wanted them to be ready when they saw that great city to not fear, to not have that. He he wanted them to be prepared in their hearts. Can I tell you, God knows what you're about to face and he's been preparing you for it. I need you to look at your neighbor for a second again. Say, nothing has taken God by surprise. He knew what you were going to face. He knows what you're going to face in the next season of life. And Joshua, in Joshua chapter 3, he's told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. The word consecrate there in the Old Testament is kadash or kadesh. To consecrate, to sanctify, to prepare, to dedicate, to be holy, to be sanctified, to be set apart. I don't have time to go into the whole circumcision thing, but that was part of that consecration process. They had to prepare themselves and say, we're coming out of this old life and we're moving into the life that God has planned for us. Here's my encouragement to you. Get ready. Get ready. The visions and the words that God has spoken over your life, get ready. It's coming. Mm, I hope some of you get this in your spirit. It's coming. God's about to do something great that you can't even explain it. So get ready. Prepare your heart. Maybe you need to cut some things out. Maybe you need to say, you know what, I'm just going to go into this time. There's been a, a, a... I was almost said worldwide, maybe it is worldwide, but after the send a couple of weeks ago, Joseph said that, that Louis Engel called like those group of people, those 58,000 people, they're gathered to a 40-day fast. And it wasn't some weird Lent thing, and I'm not here to debate that, but it wasn't that. It, it, was, it was literally about just setting yourself apart and saying, prepare your heart for something significant. Prepare your heart for what God is about to do in America. Come on, I want him to do it in the world. You know that. But I've been crying out for 30 years. God, you see, you know what you're doing around the world. Would you remember America? Listen, God and I made a deal. And I think he's going to keep the deal. 
I said, if I don't go on the mission field, then Lord, I want to see the mission field in America. That's what I told him. About 12 years ago, 13 years ago, when I finally knew that God wasn't calling us at that time to the mission field, but calling us to plant a church in America, I said, God, I just, I just got to know. It's your will and not mine, but could I have this request? And you know what I believe? I believe that that request actually came out of a heart that God had placed in me. How many of you know that? Your faith-filled prayers were already placed there by God. Sometimes we're like, oh, I just don't know if it's God's will. You think you would pray that? <laughs> Come on. That's God putting it there. I know what my prayers are, you know. Anybody know what your prayers are? Oh, God, and brand new. Uh, man, that Lincoln Navigator God looks so good and would be so good for my family. I know it's only $106,000, God, and, and there is nothing too hard for you. Those are my prayers. Come on, somebody. No, I don't really pray for that. I just pray for an F-150. But anyway, but God, would you come? But when he begins to break my heart and when I begin to pray for the nations in DFW, guess what I know? I know that's from God. Get ready. Somebody say, get ready. ready. Secondly, cross over. He said, get ready, cross over. What were they crossing over? Do you remember? The Jordan River at its flood stage. Oh, how nice. God, can't we cross over the river, you know, when there's no snow coming through, you know, at the very end of summer when everything, you know, is kind of settled down and we can just kind of step over. Isn't that what we pray? God, just make it easy for us, Lord. We just appreciate easy comfort. Isn't that what Jesus promised? An easy, comfortable life. (laughs) In this life, you will have comfort and ease. No, that's coming. Hello? It's coming. Heaven is going to be a comfortable place, let me tell you what. It's going to be a life of ease. You're going to, I don't know if we're going to have a physical mansion or not. We could debate about that. All I know, it's going to be great. No sickness, no sin, no tears, no crying, no pain, no thorns, no mosquitoes. Hallelujah! It's coming, but we're not there yet. We got some obstacles to go over. God gave them an obstacle. Do you remember I said this? Most of these guys were kids, teenagers, or maybe hadn't even been born yet when their parents and grandparents crossed through the Red Sea. But I bet that that subject came up a few times. I know it did. The river may be ahead, but the Red Sea is behind. What does that mean? That means God (laughs) was on their parents' side 40 years earlier. And he's on their side now. When they crossed over, the Bible says that they took stones with them out of the middle of the river. And as they took these huge giant river rocks across, they placed them on the other side of the river. Why? So that they could bring their children back. When they conquered the land, they could bring their children back and say, this is where it happened. But can I tell you, I believe that they were also remembering it for themselves. They were saying, God, this is the place you did it. And when, I, when they got discouraged, when there was a bigger city, when there was a bigger obstacle, they could come back to those times. Do you have stones of remembrance in your life? Can you remember a time when God provided when you didn't expect Him to, like the story I told earlier? Do you remember a time when God healed you? Do you remember a time when God saved you and pulled you out? 
Those are the times we need to go back to and say, God, you did it then. Why wouldn't you do it now? He's never failed me. There's a problem. I, there's a song that we sing. I can't remember the name of it. But, but, you know, it goes, he's never failed me yet. And that little yet just kind of gets me sometimes until I realize, wait a minute. What the songwriter was saying is, he's never failed me yet. Why would he fail me in the future? He hasn't failed me to this point. He's not going to fail me again. Come on, somebody. There's one more part before I move on that I want to tell you. The obstacle ahead of you is to strengthen you for the obstacles ahead of you. Again, until we reach heaven, we're going to have obstacles. In heaven, no obstacles. Beautiful. Here, obstacles. But what do these obstacles that are right before me do? They strengthen me for the obstacles ahead of that. You see, they had to face the Jordan, but after that they had to face Jericho. And you know, maybe, maybe for you it's a different thing or it's not a different thing. But for me, nature, God rules over it. People, they're a different breed. They're a little bit more difficult than a river, in my estimation. If you've been in leadership any length of time, you know that to be true. Hey, on that river, praise God. Let it go. Just like Elisha. Where's the God of Elijah? Cross over the river. What does he have to deal with? The 50 prophets. Where's Elijah now? Oh, come on, people. Really? Didn't you just see that river break? Yeah, we saw that. But where's Elijah? I'm going to move on. God places some obstacles in our lives. He allows some things in our lives to strengthen us for the thing ahead because He wants us to take possession. Get ready to cross over and take possession. I think it's interesting, though, when we go back to that, it says to take possession of what the Lord is giving you. Doesn't that seem a little bit like an oxymoron? Is it, if God's given me something, why do I have to take possession of it? Hmm, just got quiet. I'm not here to debate theology and Calvinism versus Arminianism, but this is one reason I have a problem with Calvinism, because I do believe that we have an active role to play. Let me say that again. I do believe we have an active role to play in the kingdom. I personally and 100% believe that Moses and the children of Israel under his care were designed, prepared. God gave them everything to enter the promised land and they were the children of promise. They should have been the ones in the, in the promised land. Do you know, I believe in Abraham and I'm so glad for Abraham, but I believe his father Terah actually was heading towards the promised land before Abraham. Go back and study it. Terah, Abraham's father, was actually heading towards Canaan when he stopped and settled. And it was Abraham then that got to fulfill the promise. We might not be talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We might be talking about Terah, Abraham, and Isaac. I don't know. But this I know. We have a choice. Look at your neighbor one more time. Three times, that's it. Look at your neighbor one more time and say, we have a choice. There There will be big walls. There will be fierce armies. There will be mountains to conquer. Take what is rightfully yours. 
Take what is rightfully yours, Joshua. Take what is rightfully yours. God's given you everything you need for life and godliness. He's given us everything to be victors and overcomers. We just got to receive it. We've just got to take possession of it. We've got to say, God, I take this from up here and I'll take it to myself. You gave me the word. I'm going to walk out on the word. That's what Peter did. Jesus said, come. Do you know what? He gave that command. Go back. Any of the disciples could have done it. Any of the disciples in the boat could have stepped out of the boat and walked on that water that day. But Peter was the one. I almost said something and I would have had to ask for forgiveness. Peter was the one with the goods to do it. He was the one with the, mm, I'm going to go out there and step out on the water. Come on. And he stepped out on the water, some of you knew. He stepped out on the water, and he got to be a part of it. We're like, oh, but look, he saw the waves and ah, blah, blah. Peter walked on water. I don't think it's any mistake that God put him as leader of the church. He said, Peter, yeah, you may have sunk a little bit, but you're the only one who was willing to step out. That's another time, another time, another time. This is where I'm going to end. It's not about, it's not all about properties and possessions. You see, we could easily say, well, it's all about the land of Canaan. It's all about taking over all the houses and the lands and the sheep and the goats and the cattle and everything that was there and the milk and the honey. And sometimes we get so, oh, it's about this, it's about this, it's about a building, it's about this. You know, it's about having my possessions, it's about having everything I need. How many of you know, really, when it comes down to it, we're New Testament believers? It's not about positions or properties or possessions. What is it about, church? It's about Jesus. What is it about people? It's about people. Look at Joshua chapter 6, verse 22. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out. Watch this. I don't have time to develop this. But do you remember Rahab? The command was destroy everything in the city. It's to the Lord. Everything. But the Lord prompted Joshua and said, accept. Aren't you glad for God's accepts? Accept Rahab. And, watch this, all who belong to her. Because of Rahab's obedience and Rahab's sacrifice, her entire family was saved. So the young men, verse 23, who had done the spying, went in and brought Rahab, her father and mother, her brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Rahab was rescued along with her family. I believe God is all about people. He's all about people. Even if people read this and they read about Jericho and, oh, it's so terrible, God took down the whole sea. I mean, these people were sacrificing children on altars much like America is today. And the wrath was ready to be poured out on this city. They were sacrificing their children. I'm not, I mean, literally placing them on altars to foreign gods. And God said, enough is enough. I've had it to hear with this city. But here's 
this righteous little woman who's been going to church every day of her life and serving me and, and helping me and give... Oh, wait a minute. Wrong story. Hey, here's this prostitute. I still care about the prostitutes. I still care about the lost. I still care about the dying. You know what that tells me? That no matter what vision we have, we need to rescue the hellbound. We need to redeem the unrighteous. We need to reach people for the kingdom and for the king. Whatever vision you've got, whatever dream you've got, if it doesn't include people, it's not a God dream. Let me say that again. Whatever dream you've got, whatever vision you've got, whatever ministry you want to have, if it doesn't include people, then it's not from God. I'm saying that emphatically, and I'll stick to it. For God so loved the buildings that He gave His only Son. For God so loved your pocketbook that He gave His only Son. No, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. He loves the world. He loves the people. And if we don't, then we're in the wrong business. God gave a vision to a pastor almost 50 years ago. Approximately 49 years ago this year. Maybe it was 50 years ago. To be a multiplying church in a growing area of a metropolitan city. His name was W.W. Hayes. And he saw a piece of property. And out of his own funds, he purchased that property. He financed that property. And he began to build a building. It's about 60 feet that way. And he put a steeple on it. And he built a house. It's about 100 feet that way as a parsonage. And a year and a half into that building project, and a year and a half as he was finishing up that little parsonage, he had a stroke or a heart attack, something in that. Never got to ask him exactly what it was because he passed away. But at that point, he didn't pass away then. He had that, and the doctor said, you can't do this anymore. Somebody else is going to have to fulfill that vision. And over the last almost 50 years, there have been pastor after pastor. There have been people after people that have come into Southlake and come into this church, and great things have happened. But the primary vision of W.W. Hayes was never to have a church that stayed in one place. His vision, and I've heard it from his own voice out of a video, was to be a multiplying church by building the church around the world and by expanding that reach by planting churches in the Metroplex and beyond. That is the vision of W.W. Hayes. That is the vision that God gave me in 2005 when we moved here to the Metroplex. I said, God, I'm not interested in building a megachurch. I've been a part of a megachurch and it's awesome and I love megachurches, but that's not the vision God put in my heart. God put in my heart to build churches, to multiply throughout the Metroplex and beyond. I didn't know that until after we came here. In 2013, somebody handed me a DVD and said, you need to check out the original vision of the pastor that started this church. And when I saw it, my heart was gripped. I said, God, thank you for the Moses W.W. Hayes. And I I don't proclaim to be the Joshua. Maybe that was somebody else along the way. But if we are not about reaching people, then we have abdicated the original vision that God had for this house. If we are not about multiplying, then we have have abdicated the original vision of this house. It's about multiplying believers in our sphere of influence. And that's why I believe that by 20, God has told us to add 20 families to this house. Why? Because people need a home church. 
We'll get to the unsaved in a minute. But people need a home church. They need a place where they can plug in their gifts. They need a place where they can be discipled and raised up. They need a place. And I'm telling you, as I've said earlier, there's not enough room in every church in the Metroplex at this point. Let's be one of those churches along with many others that are doing this thing. So let's see 20 families added and you say, well, we can't, we can't, we can't say that. Did I not just preach a message where we have a responsibility? We got to go and get the Rahabs. We got to go in and say, you know what? God put a covenant and a commission on my heart and it's to reach people. You know what? Maybe you're saved and you're just moving in the area. We'd love to be a part of that. There's, uh, the last statistic I heard is something like over 100,000 people are moving into Tarrant County. Just Tarrant County alone. What is it? Every two months or something like that? It's, it's crazy. There are people looking for a home church. Let's see 20 families added to the kingdom. But more than that, added to this local church to see this vision fulfilled. Now, this one is exciting for me. I believe that God wants to see 20 people saved. Out of this local house. I'm not talking about our missions trips and things like that, as great as those are. I'm saying, what about the people in our sphere of influence? I want to see Wes and Tina and the people in their influence and the people in their neighborhood. They've got people that they've been ministering to, been witnessing to, and guess what? I want to join together with them and see those people saved. Come on, somebody. There are people at Mike's work right now that he prays for. He prays for and he tells us all the time, would you pray for this one? Would you pray for that one? There are people in his place of business right now that need Jesus. Why don't we partner with Mike and say, we're going to believe with you. We're not going to let you be out there alone. We're going to believe with you. I could go on and on throughout this room. There's family members. There's some sons and daughters that need to be saved in this house. And I'm believing for it. And out of that... I, I totally, I love that your illustration that that young lady was baptized because I believe in baptism. And I believe that those people should be baptized in water, following the Lord in baptism. Come on, somebody. I think that they should be filled with the precious Holy Spirit so that they can be equipped to do what God has told them to do. How are we going to do this? How are we going to see this? Number one, unified prayer. I don't know about you, but we've been, that our last prayer meeting... Ooh, that was awesome. We've got, we've got to come together, whether it's at a, a Bible study, whether it's in a class, whether it's in a, in a unified prayer meeting, let's come together and pray because I don't believe anything is going to happen until we get on our knees and say, God, what is your vision? What do you want to do? What is your strategy? How are we going to do that? We're going to multiply our workers. We need workers. Somebody say Workers. I know the trend is volunteers. I just feel like that if you volunteer for something, I can say no to it. But if I show up for work, come on, somebody. I'm working, and I'm not working for a paycheck. I'm working for the kingdom, and I'm working for the king. Come on. We need workers in the harvest field. He didn't say send forth into the labor, send forth into the harvest field volunteers. He said send forth into the, into the harvest field laborers. Let's labor together. Let's work together to see the kingdom. It doesn't matter if you're working in kids' church, working in the nursery, working in the sound booth. We need workers. We need 20 leaders. I'm believing 20 leaders that will be raised up in this next year. You see, the 12 disciples couldn't lead in every area. As the church grew, they needed more leadership. And as they grew leadership, I don't have time to develop it, but I just take my word for it in Acts chapter 6 and 7. As they developed leaders, you know what happened? The church went from addition to multiplication. Amen. 
It's true. Read it. They had to begin to add priests, government leaders, business leaders, all trained, raised up, and then sent out. And yes, I'm going to say it, and I'm not ashamed. We need to increase givers. If you're not tithing, why not? God said, test me in this. Start tithing. If you are tithing, then begin to give offerings. Because the tithe is what is owed God. The offerings are where the blessings come from. Ooh, I can, let me move on. And if you're not giving to missions monthly, can I tell you right now, we need that. We have missionaries. You know why? I'm, I don't want to embarrass you, but David, you're my friend, and so we've gotten along. So I, forgive me, Stephanie. I don't want to embarrass you. But do you know why I can't bring on David and Stephanie right now? Because we don't have enough monthly giving towards missions. I don't want to ever turn a missionary away again. I don't ever want to turn a missionary away again. So if you're not giving to missions monthly, say, I'm going to start giving to missions monthly so we can add more missionaries, so we can supply the missionaries that we already have. And if you're a missions giver, expand. This is simple, 20 by 20. It's not hard. It's not rocket science, Wes. If it was left up to me, it would be rocket science. I would make it very difficult. This is very simple, 20 by 20. What is God calling us to do right now? He's calling us to reach those in our sphere of influence. He's calling us to begin to expand the kingdom here in our area. And he's saying, I'm giving it to you. Will you take possession of it? Will you stand? Will you just lift up your hands? I'm not asking you to fill out a form I'm not asking you to check off a box. What I'm asking for you right now is to ask God, God, what's my part? What's my part? If you're part of New Day Church right now, just say, God, what is my part in this local body? What am I supposed to be doing? What is is my part in in this vision? To be a local church with a regional reach and a global impact, what is my part in that? If you're not a part of New Day Church, I want you to ask God for your own local church. What is my part, God? Where do you want me to increase? Where do you want me to expand? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Let him speak to you. Let him speak to you. Now commit it to the Lord. Say, Lord, with your help, with your ability, I will do what you're asking me to do. I'll start working. I'll start training. I'll start using the gifts and callings of God on my life. I'll start intentionally reaching out to those in my sphere of influence. God, I'll begin right now to invite people to Easter and to to that service. Lord, I'll begin now to begin to invite my friends, my family members to be a part of this. God, I'll begin right now to reach out to the lost, to the hurting, to the dying, to those that don't look like the traditional church individual, God. God, you reached Rahab and used her in a mighty way in the kingdom of God, in the genealogy. God, I just pray in the name of Jesus that you would move in and through us. Whew. 
Just commit yourself to the Lord. Consecrate to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. There's a song we used to sing years ago, and it went something like this. Jesus, use me. Oh, Lord, don't refuse me. Surely there's a work that I can do. There's another song that said, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll say what you want me to say. I'll do what you want me to do. Jesus, we say to you right now, Lord, use us for your glory, for your presence, as vessels of honor. God, I pray in the name of Jesus, we consecrate our hearts and our lives to you right now. We'll go where you want us to go. We'll do what you want us to do. We'll say what you want us to say. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 God is good. All the time. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for letting me share my heart today. And what I believe the Lord is laying out for us in this coming year. Like I said, you are welcome to come tonight. It's going to be fun. It's going to be celebratory. We're going to get some stuff done. And we're also going to have dessert. Can't ask for more than that. Love you guys. God bless you. Have a great rest of your day. Amen. Make sure you stop by the table and see David and Stephanie and uh, just encourage them in the Lord. Amen? Amen.